Let's stand together, brothers and sisters, for the reading of God's Word. We'll be continuing ahead in the book of Acts, and still in chapter 16, still at Philippi, and I'll be reading from verse 6 through to verse 34. You can see there are verses of focus, verses 16 through 24. Please listen carefully because this is God's holy and infallible word. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days, and on the Sabbath day we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So, she persuaded us. Now, It happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them. And he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. And thus ends the reading of God's word. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So that map will continue to be a helpful guide 
through this second second missionary missionary journey for Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy and their team. Last week we looked at running the straight course. We see how Paul and Silas and their team were immediately obedient to the heavenly vision. We talked about the importance of putting your hand to the plow. They went forth and they kept searching until they found that good work God had created for them to walk into. And we see that same attitude in place at the beginning of today's scripture. But the focus of today's text really is the great wrath of the serpent of old, the workings of demonic forces united with sinister and cruel human forces to stop the progression of the gospel and to persecute and harm the people of God. Next week, the title of the sermon will be The Kingdom Which Cannot Be Shaken. And then in verses 35 through 40, the title of that sermon will be The Ruler Over the Kings of the Earth. And we'll see through this process the demonstration that the death and the resurrection and the ascension of the re- and the reign of Jesus Christ is a comprehensive victory over all of His enemies. So where does the title of the sermon, where do I get that from? Well, in Revelation chapter 12, we see this description of a war that took place in heaven. Now children, do you realize that there was a war that took place in heaven? A war between angels and demons? I'm going to read that to you. Listen and and tell me who wins this war. Tell me where the devil ends up. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. So up until this point in the history of heaven, the devil and his minions had had access to God's bar. You recall them accusing Job in the book of Job. That kind of behavior was ongoing. It says it right there. Accusing the brethren day and night. And heaven is rejoicing because these demons and the devil have been cast out of heaven. And so they say, rejoice, O heavens. But the message to the earth is different. Woe to the earth. Now, if we look carefully at the chronology of the book of Revelation, it appears that this battle in heaven, this casting out of Satan down to earth, took place sometime around earthly history of 66 AD. Can't be dogmatic about that. That's about 17 years after the timing of today's text. So this great tribulation that is to come, that is overseen by the presence of the devil in the earth, hasn't arrived yet. But we see the same kind of approach that demons take on display today. We get a strong taste of the anger of defeated demonic forces in Europe. And they know that a beachhead has been established and that the light is coming and they are furious So today's text, the great wrath of the serpent of old, we'll see this possessed slave girl and by God's grace, we'll see the tenderness and the compassion of Paul that we should share. We'll see the evil spirit is cast out by Paul and we'll look at some of the simple principles of exorcism. We'll see these greedy slave masters lash out in their response and they know where to go, stirring up the mischief of the multitudes and the magistrates against the people of God. And then we see at the end of this ordeal, Paul and Silas securely fastened in the darkness of the inner prison with stocks upon their feet. 
And certainly the question for each one of us is, how would you have responded in such a time? How do you respond in such times when it feels like you are in that inner prison with your feet in the, feet in the stocks? And along the way, some questions to bring these principles home to our own lives as well. As we go through, we'll see some questions about Luke and about Timothy as well that come up. I think it's, it's a kind of a peripheral thing, but it's helpful to keep, keep up in your mind where each of these men are along the way uh, as we go through the story. So first of all, let's look at this poor, pitiful, possessed slave girl. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her master's much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. So, first of all, a couple of things. It says, as we went to prayer. So Luke is still with them. And prayer is their gospel work. All forms of spiritual warfare have to start and persist and end in prayer. It is, the, it is the surest evidence that we are walking in the flesh if we are not praying. And we will end up like the seven sons of Siva if we come against demons without prayer. Looking at you saying, oh, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? And you might end up like them before it's said and done. Prayer is gospel work. And here we see other gospel work occur in the context of going to prayer. It demonstrates to us the multiplicative, the synergistic activity that occurs when we're doing gospel work, more gospel work comes forth. Similar to their first encounter with Lydia, the team is continuing to do their evangelistic work and they're searching for more good works to walk into. And the suggestion is they haven't found anyone else who's converted. We don't know for sure, but there's many days that they're going back and forth to prayer and it appears as though no one has been converted And at this point in time, these evil slave masters aren't taking any notice of them. They don't care about the preaching of the gospel as long as their wallets are intact. A certain slave girl, this word girl, she's a damsel. She's a a young girl, maybe the age of 12, 13 years of age. She's a young girl, and she's a slave, and she's possessed by a demon. I want us to see the darkness of that place during that time. It is overthrown by demons and deceptions and it is clearly a place that is in the shadow of death. A young girl is a slave to these greedy masters and it appears to be just a normal part of their culture that a young girl would be enslaved and treated this way. And she has no one to rescue her. She is bound up in darkness. She is exploited and she is taken advantage of. And this, brothers and sisters, this oppression is what we always see when the forces of darkness are at work. Now they probably made her seem like she was special. They probably said it was for her own good. We've heard those arguments. And yet we know the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. And that is what is happening here at this place. The light of the gospel, the radiance of Mount Zion from heaven is now shining upon Macedonia, upon these demonic forces, and shortly upon this sweet girl. She is said to be possessed with the spirit of divination. And this word possessed is very simple. She is owned. She is the possession of this demon at this point in time. This demon has taken her captive. Dwelling in her, around her. Who knows how it's working. Brothers and sisters, especially children, listen. You should understand how vulnerable you are to demonic influence if you do not have faith in Jesus Christ. 
Now, if you have faith in Jesus Christ and you are filled with His Spirit, you can still be bothered and tormented by demons, but they cannot possess one who is possessed by Christ. But this should cause all of us to pause and consider the reality of the battle that we are in. Not to be afraid, but to understand the reality of who our enemies are. Know thy enemy. We're told she's possessed by a spirit of divination. Now, to glance at this, you might think it's just any ho-hum demon. But apparently it is not. The word for divination is literally python. The spirit of divination that controlled the oracle of Delphi on the seventh of every month. And so F.F. Bruce says she is described by Luke as having a pythonic spirit or being a pythoness. That is a person inspired by Apollo, the Greek deity especially associated with the giving of oracles, who was worshipped as the Pythian god at the oracular shrine of Delphi in central Greece. William Hendrickson also writes, she had a spirit called Python. So we are told specifically the name of this demon. And it is clearly connected with control of that region. So Luke is not just referencing an unnamed demon, but is rather defining the particular demon possessing this girl, and it turns out it is the demon prince, likely, of that region. So when the man of Macedonia called out and said, come over and help us, we're beginning to get another taste. Perhaps this man was praying for his possessed daughter. Who knows? So it's not just any demon. This is the demonic God of that entire region. And this is, this is not a made up concept. Daniel 10 says, he said to me, do not fear Daniel for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I have come before because of your words. This is an angel speaking to Daniel. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now I've come to you to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. Then he said, do you know why I've come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. When I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. There are demonic princes of geographically named boundaried places in the earth. There are demonic overlords given authority in the demonic realm over boundaried named geographical locations in our world. It's not an ordinary demon, Phil Kaiser. This demon had a stronghold over the countries of Greece and Macedonia. In fact, the whole world knew about the spirit Python that was at Delphi. He was very famous and he traveled to other spots in Greece and Macedonia. He only gave his oracle at Delphi on the seventh of each month. Paul will press into the territories of Python until the gospel eventually conquers the Delphic stronghold itself. But this is the first confrontation with this strong and influential spirit. Brothers and sisters, the main point of reality that I hope you will take to heart and incorporate into your spiritual warfare is that demonic overlords rule and advance political kingdoms and realms. Demonic overlords rule and advance political kingdoms and realms. So what happens next? Well, the slave girl, she met them. How did that happen? We don't know, but we can say this. It is the Lord's will for that girl to encounter Paul and his team and then to encounter the King, King of Kings who alone can set her free. And what a great joy every Christian heart should have to hear about this, this girl being set free. Now, what was going on? We're told who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. There is much for us to learn from this phrase. 
This young demon-possessed girl brings much profit, much economic advancement, and with it, much pleasure, power, and influence. These masters have a lifestyle, and they intend to continue in it. And they will grow fangs and express their claws if anyone gets between them and their revenues. They don't care. He can preach as long as he wants to. But when their pocketbooks are impacted, then things get real. Next, fortune-telling is real. Fortune-telling is real. Demonic powers have some awareness that can be put to use making accurate guesses about the future. They can see and understand things that we cannot and can grant greater accuracy to predictions about the future. They don't know the future, but they can be far more accurate at predicting the future. They've been on the planet since the beginning. They've seen things unfold. They know the course and the force of history. In addition, they can use their powers to imp impact what happens in the future as well. In addition, we can imagine that these masters probably could get predictive knowledge for themselves from this girl to use for their selfish monetary power, political and pleasure goals, whether it's betting on a chariot race or starting a business. So I hope that we will see here that selfish men and cruel demonic overlords intersect upon the vulnerable and the weak for the purpose of gaining wealth, power, and pleasure. So this triad is necessary. Demonic overlords, human, selfish humans, and oppression. They go together throughout history. So look behind oppression and corruption for de demonic powers and pray and act accordingly and understand what you are getting yourself into if you say or do anything that impacts the pocketbooks of these people. Because that's where they fight. That's where they live. They live in the realm of economic power. And that's what they're willing to fight about. That's when they're willing to bring all the forces of the multitudes and the magistrate against you. And you will be called, perhaps, as a Christian to stand in this way, like Paul was. And do not... Do not shrink back from it if God calls you to it. But understand what you're getting into and don't tread lightly there. Ephesians 6, 10 through 13 informs us of this reality. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. You have to believe that Paul had on his spiritual armor before he came to this encounter. Like Jesus said, this kind come out only with prayer and fasting. You don't just, you don't just show up at this event not having spent some time in spiritual preparation and warfare. They had fasted. They had prayed. They had been sent out by a church that continued to fast and pray for them. They were not on their own. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. See, Paul understands that the schemes of the devil are for real. And that they take on things like rods and prisons and stocks when they're put to use for his, for his purposes. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. So they're singing hymns in the inner darkness of this prison. They were facing their enemies and laughing as we'll hear about in today's baptism charge. And each of you can have that same faith in your life. Paul didn't cast the demon out initially. There were many days and I can't help but wonder that he was thinking, he knew that his time in Philippi would be shortened. I'm speculating. But he understood the nature of the battle. And he likely understood what was going to happen. He'd seen it before. Of course, he knew about it in the life of Jesus. And he had seen the same kind of thing occur in other places. What happens next? 
The girl is following us and crying out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. So it appears that Luke is still with the team at this point, and the message of the girl is very clear. Paul and Silas and their team are servants of God who proclaim the way of salvation. This is a true message spoken by a girl possessed by a demon. She references the Most High God, the the Old Testament, frequent Old Testament description of God, and within this context, emphasizes that all other gods are under the control of God alone. But perhaps meaning to bring some sort of polytheism in view. But why would a demon-possessed girl speak the truth about this team? Well, this is where the wiles of the devil are likely on display. Those engaged for evil often speak truth. Let that sink in. Those engaged for evil often speak truth, but for evil reasons. A speaker of truth is not necessarily a lover of God. Demonic schemes and subtlety always outstrip our human wits. We are lost against this level of experience and intellectual power of demons. They are going to always be ten steps ahead of anything you can think of. So there was some scheme here. This was some scheme of the devil. Here's some speculation from Matthew Henry. Some think she designed here to gain credit to herself and her prophecies. And so to increase her master's profit by pretending to be in the interest of the apostles, who she thought had a growing reputation, or to curry favor with Paul that he might not separate her and her familiar spirit, Others think that Satan, who can transform himself into an angel of light and can say anything to serve a turn, designed hereby to disgrace the apostles, as if these divines were of the same fraternity with their diviners, because they were witnessed to by them. And then the people might as well adhere to those they had been used to. Those that were most likely to receive the apostles' doctrine were such as were prejudiced against these spirits of divination and therefore would by this testimony be prejudiced against the gospel. Whereas, as for those who regarded these diviners, the devil thought himself sure enough of them. So that, you can see all the layers of deception and scheming and the different kind of people that they're trying to influence with this behavior. Satan is notorious for his tactic of associating with true Christians and churches and from that position to undermine the faith. So this should always lead us to a healthy skepticism. And remember that you must judge a tree by its fruit. Next, the text tells us she did this for many days. You guys can probably think of times where something's happening over and over again and you just dealing with it and being patient with it. It's like this for Paul. The taunts and the schemes of evil persist for us day to day as well, do they not? Testing the patience of even the holiest of God's children. If evil schemes cannot prompt us to be provoked with one horrible evil blast, then it may just be daily gnats of inconvenience or crying out of various forms that tempt us. We don't know why Paul waited so long before casting out this demonic prince, but somehow he knew it was time. The text says, But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. Greatly annoyed. Other words you could use there is he was troubled. He was displeased. He was grieved. He was offended. He was pained. He was worked up. So there's a fervency that has developed in him, not against this girl, but against this evil spirit. So Paul, after many days of this incessant blathering, has had enough. And you have to think that in his wisdom, his annoyance is with the torment upon this girl and the torment of what is happening around her as a result of this great demonic power in her and through her. Now I want us to see some things here. Paul speaks to the demon, not 
to the girl. He understands the situation. Somehow he understands that this girl is possessed by this demon and his annoyance and his gospel command are directed at this demonic prince. He engages directly with this demon. This is an exorcism that takes place. And of course, if we just step back for a moment, we consider the sin in one another's lives, we can learn from this as well. Because as we're helping one another in sanctification, helping one another see the sin in one another's lives, if there's annoyance, it should be towards our own sin and towards the sin of others, but always with affection towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. And a fervency against sin, but a constancy in affection. This is a divinely ordained exorcism. Demons are real. Soothsaying is real. And exorcisms are real. What, what is an exorcism? Well, in this case, it's very simple. Paul issues a direct command to this demon. Paul issues the command in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the command is clear. He speaks it clearly. Come out of her. And the authority that Jesus said was given to his disciples is very much on display right here. This is the same authority as if when Jesus Christ himself cast out demons. We see this authority of Jesus is given to his followers. And what is the result? This python demonic prince of Macedonia who had a grip upon this entire region and on this girl that none could shake loose is gone. Defeated by the power of God, the Holy Spirit of God, and perhaps unseen angels as well, unbind this girl and strike this demon from his hold upon her. Glory be to God. The demonic forces that have held this earth in darkness for millennia is defeated and is being defeated as time goes on. This should bring us great joy and prompt us to be engaged in the battle. Commentary says it was a much greater kindness to the country when Paul now in Christ's name cast the devil out of one who deceived people and imposed upon their credulity. Power went along with the word of Christ before which Satan could not stand but what he was forced to quit his hold. And in this case it was a stronghold. He came out the same hour. So that man of Macedonia had called for help and herein, brothers and sisters, we see the nature of full gospel assistance. It is not partial. It is not only with the preaching of the word of God, but it is accompanied by the power of the Holy Spirit of God to cast down all powers set up against Jesus Christ. This is what our holy expectation should be as we walk in this life, is to participate in this kingdom, this kind of kingdom victory in our lives. So again, note the gospel conquest of any region will involve casting down demonic powers via spiritual warfares and, and in a corrupted culture like this, a pagan, demon-controlled, corrupted culture like this where the multitudes and the magistrates are controlled by the hope of profit you can expect that when the gospel comes into that place, there's going to be loss of profit. There's going to be loss of profit for those who are caught up in that system. We should expect to see that. When their schemes are exposed, when their demonic powers are reduced, we should expect to see that. So what happens when this happens? Not only should we expect to, to need to oppose these powers with the gospel and see their profit motive and corruption exposed and reduced, what should we expect along the way? Surely Paul understood what was about to happen. We should too. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city and they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe. 
So note here, their hope of profit was gone. This selfish quest for profit controls these fallen men. It controls them. And when it is lost, they are crushed. All their dreams of a life of ease and pleasure and power vanish. I want you to think of a cornered wild animal. See, the gospel crushes corrupt demonic human enterprises ending their hope of profit. And this will be a real world battle powered by demonic forces in the background. Commentary says, see here what evil the love of money is the root of. If the preaching of the gospel ruined the craft of the silversmiths, we'll see that in chapter 19, much more the craft of the soothsayers. And therefore here is a great outcry raised when Satan's power to deceive is broken. The priests hated the gospel because it turned men from the blind service of dumb idols. And so the hope of their gains was gone. The power of Christ, which appeared in dispossessing the woman and the great kindness done to her in delivering her out of Satan's hand, made no impression upon them when they apprehended that they should hereby lose money. Oh, brothers and sisters, how often are we like them where when something occurs, our first thought is our money instead of the souls of others? Are we not guilty of this same, this same self-kingdom building ourselves? Oh, may God deliver us from this. Don't forget... Cast yourself in the part of the bad guy as you're reading Scripture. What did they do? Well, they hugged Paul and Silas and they had a meal with them. No, no, no. They were violent. They seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities and they brought them to the magistrates. We've seen this in America recently. We've seen this in Canada recently, have we not? Violently with Hordes of FBI agents coming to the peace-loving homes of American citizens and their children to, at the start of their day. Dragging the father out of the home at gunpoint. Brothers and sisters, we should expect this. When these individuals go before their temples of blood where babies are murdered for the, in the name of convenience and people stand out there and threaten their income, you should expect the FACE Act to be put to use. Maybe they did break the law. I'm not saying they did or they didn't. The point I'm making is they've come against the profit, the hope of profit of these bloodthirsty people who are certainly backed by demonic forces. So they use violence, seizing and dragging Paul and Silas. So expect violence and humiliation. They look to the local civil magistrates to punish Paul and Silas. See, these wealthy businessmen are already tied up tight with the magistrates. They're already tied up tight in their ability to influence the multitudes. Demonic human enterprises, brothers and sisters, will use violence and threats of violence to stop gospel progress to maintain their hope of profit. This is a plank in the schemes of the devil. Expect it. Notice how this demon and, this, and his minions use the magistrates to impose control over the situation. It's Pastor Kaiser. Satan has never been able to win a debate on an even playing field. Truth will always triumph if it is given a fair hearing. So what Satan does when he is losing an argument is to use force. There's always the power of the sword in his pocket. And you can see this is also a form of censorship because when they're in the prison... They're not out continuing to spread the message. So censorship is always in his schemes as well. They're always going to bring forth claims as if they're the lawful ones as well. They love the law. And said, here's their accusation, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city and they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe. But for many days this didn't trouble them very much. Isn't that interesting? how for many days they were not troubled in the least by this. So we see these masters were quite content for Paul to preach the gospel for many days so long as their hope of profit was not impeded. And this is what the secularists are always after. You keep you and your Jesus there with you on Sunday mornings, there with you in your house. Don't bring him out here in this world. Well, you see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who looks at every square inch of the cosmos and says, mine or not. 
Does he call all men everywhere to repent or not? We don't give way to that. They always keep the power of the sword in their pocket. And this should really bring home to us the importance of whom, with whom we place in those positions. Who, who, who do we want to give the power of the sword to? This is a really, really important question. Consider well, brothers and sisters, when you vote. Now, let's look at this claim that is brought against them. And t- tell me if you see any sort of parallels in the modern world. You see, the enemies of the gospel will always make themselves out to be the ones who love the law. And in the context of that, they'll use hyperbole and untruth. And then they'll refer to their pretense of loving the law in order to stir up the multitudes and move the magistrates to attack gospel servants. So, for example, they'll act like they're the ones who are really concerned about public health and keeping people healthy. And they will attack those who speak the truth about public health matters as if they are the ones who are acting unlawfully. And, and so it's the exact thing that they're doing to stir up the people is what they're accusing Paul of doing. Kaiser says the law he appeals to was the emperor's law. Now this is interesting. They actually do appeal to the law. I mean, the FACE Act is a real thing. It's a real law, and it looks like some of these po- folks did break that, the letter of that law. So they appeal to this law. But it's an evil law. The year before, in AD 49, Emperor Claudius had made an edict that all Jews must leave Rome. So this is an important kind of political historical background. And we saw that since colonies like Philippi were directly under Rome's control and were extensions of Rome, this decree also applied to Philippi. And this means that it was illegal for Jews to be in that city at that time. And again, it goes along with why there's no mention of a synagogue here in this town. Just as a side note, this is one of many verses you could use to justify illegally entering countries to bring the gospel. Uh, Paul's team was violating the emperor's edict, and since the edict had been published a year before, they couldn't plead ignorance. But God's mandate to bring the gospel to every nation supersedes any human laws. Did you know a lot of people uh, attack Brother Andrew and the work that he's done bringing gospels into nations where bringing the scriptures into nations where it's illegal to bring Bibles. I say those people are terribly misguided and don't understand the greater law that guides the life of every Christian and every church. Next. What happens next? We see the mischief of the multitudes and the magistrates. The mischief of the multitude and the magistrates. And that's another plank in Satan's schemes. You've got these rich people. They're in the background. They're the ones that are the most directly using and and experiencing the benefits of the demonic powers and getting wealth and power and influence from it. And anytime they need to or want to, they're able to pull their strings and spend $150 million to influence the masses or call up that senator who will not get the $150 million donation for his campaign. Oh, wait a minute, I'm sorry. I'm supposed to be talking about... Philippi, not today, but I think you see how those strings are pulled. The text says, The multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Right here you see the stream of power. You see the hierarchy of power. Demonic elements, wealthy, vested demonically controlled business interests together, because it calls them masters, who then have strings to control the magistrates and the multitudes. That's the way it flows. And they've built jails. And they have jailers. And they have stocks. And they have rods. And they have ways of bringing about and getting people in line. So when you see these magistrates at work, does it remind you of anything you've read in your history books, kids? Does it, it should remind you of North Korea. It should remind you of Mao Zedong. It should remind you of Stalin. It should remind you of many communist nations and the way they act. It should remind you of what has occurred in our nation in many ways. January 6th being an example of that. 
and the way these same tactics have been put to use in our nation today. So moving ahead, again, keeping up with Luke, he's not thrown into prison. Okay? So we see at this point Luke separates. Now we don't know where Timothy is. Okay? In verse 25, as we see later, we're going to see that Paul and Silas and perhaps others were thrown into prison. But Luke is not. There's no mention made of Timothy again until Acts 17 at Berea. So he's still a part of the group. Is he with Luke? Is he in the prison? Is he somewhere else? We don't know. At least not at this point, through this part of the storytelling. Now this city, which has been so long under demonic deception, I mean, it didn't even take, like they didn't even have to put out anything on Facebook. I mean, it was just, it, it was, they were just easily moved to hate Paul and his team. Right? I mean, do you see how easy this was? They already had their minds taken captive. They already completely controlled the minds of this, these people. All they had to do was go into the marketplace, which you and I should think Instagram, Facebook. You know, it's like they've created this worldwide marketplace to attack people that fast. And so that's where they go because they know they control that place. And it's not a problem for them. The multitudes are easily swayed by the influential slave masters. And the founders of our nation knew this. That's why senators are supposed to be elected by state legislatures and not by the general public. <coughs> we should learn a lot about politics from this because the multitudes are easily swayed, whether it's by sugar or by promise of money or by free food, you know, whatever it's going to be, the multitudes are easily swayed. And that includes you and me. I mean, we need to understand if you're visiting the marketplace, if you're on Facebook, if you're on Instagram, if you're doing all that stuff, we need to be honest. We're going to be influenced by that. Okay, enough of that. Commentary says, it has been the artifice of Satan to make God's ministers and people odious to the commonality by representing them as dangerous men who aimed at the destruction of the Constitution and the changing of the customs when really there has been no ground for such an imputation. So the dangerous ones always tell the same lies about Christians, that they're dangerous. And of course, they're right about the Christians being dangerous. It's just a different kind of danger. Uh, the gospel, Jesus Christ, he's dangerous to tyrants. The gospel, Jesus Christ, he is dangerous to evil laws. He's dangerous to fascist criminal enterprises between government and big business. Jesus Christ is dangerous to those who oppress human beings made in his image. He is dangerous to them. So in that regard, they've, they've got that right. But his people are not a danger to civilized society. His people are not a danger to civilized society. Now, similarly, we see here that the magistrates are controlled by deception and the influences of the wealthy and the masses. So you can see the wiles of the devil unfolding here. So what's the result? The abuse of the law. The abuse of the law is the result. Paul and Silas have their clothing torn off and they are beaten with rods with many stripes and thrown into prison. And as we will see later, this is not how Roman citizens are supposed to be treated. So brothers and sisters, I hope you will see that gospel ministry has many risks. And if you think that you can follow Christ and not have risks in your life, then you're, you're not living in reality. And if you're trying to fashion a life that's free of risk, then you're not trying to follow Christ. You're trying to follow yourself. So Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Right? And so he didn't say, take up your rocking chair and follow me. Right? He didn't take up your pipe and follow me. Right? That's not what he didn't take up, say, take up your fishing pole. And follow me. He said, take up your cross, which is best understood as a tool of political control and a great threat in the lives of his people. And those types of things are still present today. Specifically, brothers and sisters, I hope you'll see that gospel ministry may involve loss of freedom, well-being, and life, and may bring, may bring you to a point where you think all is lost. Gospel ministry may be humiliating and involve being stripped almost or totally naked in, in, in public and being, being violently mistreated and being exposed to false accusations and handcuffs or, or the stocks and imprisonment and false conviction. <clears throat> so this is reality. These are the schemes of the devil. 
Do you want to be in this fight? Or is that just for Paul, people like him? That's just for the super Christians. No, this authority over the demonic has been given to all of those like us who are a member of the kingdom, kingdom of priests. We, we are a member of the kingdom of priests and we have this same authority. And when we stand up and we love God's law and we promote and live out the holiness of loving our neighbors as ourselves and loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we, by God's grace, do this with a heart of gratitude everywhere we go, empowered by His Spirit. This is a spiritual wrecking ball that crashes down the forces of the enemy. But wrecking balls get lots of dents you've got to replace them from time to time. This was one of three times that Paul was beaten with rods. So I want you to think about being beaten with a rod. This is how the Romans would do it. And it was not under the compassionate limitation of the number of stripes that the Jews would do, which was not to exceed 40. That was according to Jewish law. It is here said that they laid many stripes upon them, so it appears they lost count. There's no point in counting. Now, one would think this might have satiated their cruelty. If they must be whipped, surely they could then be discharged. Nope. They are imprisoned, and it is probable the present purpose was to then go on to try them for their lives and put them to death. Else, why should there be such care taken to prevent their escape? Do note, however, the little ray of sunshine here in this story. They meet the jailer. They meet the one who's holding the keys, who will soon meet the one who holds the keys. In the midst of persecution, God is at work. Brothers and sisters, in the midst of your persecution, God is at work. The Philippian jailer is one of the most famous stories of miraculous conversion, and it all starts with him holding the keys And he gets brought into the story. And he's going to find out who really has the power to shake. So this story ends with them securely fastened in the stocks. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So the jailer does his job. He's an obedient servant. Placing Paul and Silas and maybe others into the most secure location inside this prison. Placing their feet into the stocks. Into the deepest darkness. It's a picture of the abyss into which all the demons of hell are being cast and shall ultimately be cast. But that's not where the people of God end up. The jailer does his job. He's a good jailer. Text says, with the completion of the beating, they are tossed into the inner prison and they're fastened to stocks. And the first meaning of this term is that they're fastened to wood. The stocks are made of wood and they're designed to prevent escape. They were probably tight and painful with holes to push the legs apart. So there they are, bruised, bleeding, in pain, unable to move in these stocks. And as we will see next week, their hearts are filled with cheer. But on the surface, it appears Paul and Silas are in bondage and that the jailer is free. Oh, brothers and sisters, we need to see with the eyes of faith because so much of what goes on in our world today, does it not seem like we are the ones in bondage and those who are walking in wickedness are the ones who are free? But Paul and Silas see the truth and we can too. Because for them, very shortly, the Lord will work His mighty power to shake free the bondage of both Paul and the jailer, and we should go forth with the same exact expectation in our lives. We may not see the shaking in our lives, but we can participate in the resonance frequency prayers that God will use to bring forth that shaking. His enemies will be cast down. So here we are at the end of this episode. What is going on? He said, come to Macedonia and help us. But the gospel effort... In Europe, seems over, seems bleak. Often we see the Lord bringing His people before insurmountable forces to reveal His great power. We're going to hear more about that in today's baptism charge. This is God's way. You talk about the devil's schemes. 
Well, they fit just perfect with how God does things. God brings life from death. Think about being at the Red Sea with all of the armies of Egypt approaching you. Think of the, the walls of Jericho. Think of these, the giants in the land. Think of the inner prison. Think of death on a cross. Think of Jesus being shut up and placed in that tomb with a dead body. So God has them right where He wants them at this point in time. So praise be to God for His Word. A few points of emphasis. I've already kind of spoken to most of these. We'll go through a few questions for consideration for ourselves. What is your prayer life like? This one hurts. What is your prayer life like? That's what they were doing. They were going to prayer the victory over this demon took place in the context of prayer and doing God's will. Do you go forth in your days seeking gospel opportunities? Is your day marked by eyes open to gospel opportunities? And I'm not saying that we're all need to be out in, in the world bumping into people and sharing the gospel with people all the time. If you want to do that, please do. But every day in your homes, moms and dads and brothers and sisters and, and men in your work, ladies in whatever you're doing with your lives and serving God, Every single day in your calling, are you seeking these gospel opportunities? He will bring them. Will we go forth with expectation? Students, students, will you go forth with expectation on the college campus, on the medical school campus, um, federal property? Will you go forth looking for gospel opportunities all the day long? Do you understand the nature of of reality, of, of what's really going on in the world. That there is a kingdom of darkness and that there is a kingdom of light and that there are spiritual beings that we cannot see that are engaged in battle with one another and that we must engage in the battle with that in mind. There are specific demonic beings that are arrayed against Christ and His people and they currently have or have had in the past overlord demonic control of geographically defined earthly regions. Do you understand this? Do you know that people can be possessed with demons and that exorcisms are, are not just a, something limited to that time? The authority over demons is not limited to just that time. The power of demons is not limited to just that time. Praise be to God that the spread of the gospel has reduced these things. But if we look at what's going on in our nation today, it's very likely, given the high level of insane irrationality that is present in our world, that we have a, a, a new and progressing infestation with demonic powers. How will you pray? Will that impact your prayers? When you look at the kind of evil that is going on with human trafficking in our world today and the millions and millions of children who are slaves, and I'm not even going to mention the kind of slaves they are, you'd almost rather they be, them be possessed by demons. I mean, is your heart gripped with what is happening in this world? And do you have, can you have, will you have the fervency of spirit that Paul has of a pure and undefiled hatred for these forces of darkness and cry out to God for him to crush them and bring them down and set free those who are oppressed. May God move our hearts with the awareness of the oppression that is present in our world. We have to know our enemy, brothers and sisters. We have to bring ourselves face to face with this oppression that is present in our world and then engage the spiritual tools of warfare, not wokeness, not those worldly ideas that are based on falsehood and division and Marxism, the devil's schemes. Not that. Understanding the source of oppression, why it happens, and the only way to achieve freedom is through Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and through the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ 
in the Spirit, anticipating the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon the lives of the people around us as we go. And we can walk in that, and we must walk in that power ourselves in order, in order for this to take place. Will you more seriously take up the tools of spiritual warfare as you consider the oppressed and the millions and millions of people who are oppressed? Of course we are compelled by the love of Christ and we weep because His law they do not love and His glory is not magnified. But we also weep because our neighbors are being treated in this fashion. Will you take up the tools of spiritual warfare? Will you examine your life, your prayer life? Is it present? Is it filled up with the tools of spiritual warfare? We've talked about fasting. Have you implemented a regular plan of fasting and prayer in your life? And in that context included spiritual warfare prayers in that aspect of your life. Brother, this, brothers and sisters, this will bring affliction upon you. Expect backlash. Don't expect praise. Don't expect hugs and kisses. Expect to be seized and dragged around. If not by the moneyed, then by the multitudes. If not by the magistrates, then by the moneyed. And if you hit the bullseye, you should expect all three. Expect major backlash. You've all heard about you, the, the pilots in World War II. They knew they were getting close to the target when, when, the, when the flak started hitting. That's when they knew they were close. Where do you want to fly your plane? Do you want to be over the target in your life? Raise your children to be warriors. Help your grandchildren to be warriors. Grandchildren, children, see yourselves as arrows in the hand of Christ, the mighty warrior. It's not a, life is not a, a playground. It is a battleground in which we have a lot of fun, a lot of joy as we battle. Can you have compassion upon your neighbors who are deceived by demons and pray and act accordingly? Do you have fervency of heart towards those who are bound up in deception? Or do you get annoyed with the person and mistreat the person? You see the difference? You see the difference? What if the Lord asked you to go before and publicly oppose something and it was going to bring risk into your life, to your health, your freedom, your safety, your wealth, your security, your life, your medical license, things of this nature, what would you do? You better be sure of your calling. You better be sure that's where you belong. You better have people praying for you. You better gird up and know that this is first and foremost a spiritual battle. Exposing the evil deeds of darkness is warfare. But ultimately, do you trust in Christ? Do you trust in Christ? The one whom the Father raised from the dead. And by faith, we have been united with Christ in His resurrection, in His ascension, in His glory, seated with Him. And there is no power... There's no tribulation. There's no difficulty in this life that can separate us from Him. I'm going to read that verse again from the hymn we sang to close today's sermon. <clears throat> More Than Conquerors, we sang it. This is where we're going to go next week, but we need to start our, our journey there now. You cannot be defeated by trials in this life. The conquest is completed or Satan, sin, and strife. No pain, no tribulation, no danger, famine, sword. No, nothing, nothing in creation can conquer those in God. Amen. Let us pray.
Our Father in heaven, we rejoice, O God, that you have saved us and brought us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and that even now, surely, we are surrounded by your holy angels in your holy presence, lifted up in Christ upon Mount Zion. And we lift up our praise and our thanks to you, O God, that you, Lord Jesus Christ, are the victor of history, and that you've brought us into your fold, and you are our shepherd, and that as we walk in the paths of righteousness led by your rod and your staff, we are comforted. And as we speak your truth and live out your gospel in our lives, we engage in the spiritual battle. And though we are surrounded by our enemies, we know that you are the victor. We rest in you. And we want to learn like Paul and Silas to sing hymns in the darkness of the inner prison all of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.